Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Gus Manti from Suggs Fishing. It's, you know, whatever, 10 days roughly if you're listening on release day. It's about 10 days from the Northern Wisconsin opener, so we're going to talk a little bit about Northern Wisconsin. He went down to the PMTT, had a little bit of success down there. Fourth place finish, fishing solo. Talk a little bit about that. And then he's been dabbling in some uh, fishing up in the UP and so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well and kind of maybe what to expect for the upcoming northern Wisconsin opener, you know, fish location, bait locations, things like that. So that's kind of what's on tap for this week for the Backlash podcast. And I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you're looking for gear, please check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. As per usual, it's always new stuff every week. We got a new color, a new custom color for grandmas. I think I talked about it last week. We finally have the Keys Outdoors colors up for Musky Mayhem. We got some new colors from Spanky Baits. We got a bunch of new new colors there, so you can check those out. Uh, Joe Booker Outdoors, we have some new colors there. We got two of them, and that stuff's updated. We're still waiting on some of the smaller baits to come in stock, so check that stuff out. And... If you also are looking for gear, typically I have a co-host, either Brad or Carrie from Musky Mayhem Tackle. I didn't call Carrie. I just wanted to get this one uh, rolling. I'm sure she maybe would have jumped in, but Carrie's the one that's holding down the fort while Brad's away fishing. So Brad has been away from the podcast for, I would say, this is at least week number three. And so he's MIA. He's off doing some fishing and filming for Mayhem's 10,000 casts. But we'd appreciate if you support Musky Mayhem Tackle. Check out muskymayhemtackle.com. And you can find there for the original big bladed flashaboo musky baits. Uh, lots to choose from there. They must have, I don't know, 15 different styles. And you can get custom colors and all sorts of fun stuff there. So go check out muskymayhemtackle.com. And since I have no co-host, I got nothing to uh, babble back and forth about. I'm going to make this one uh, kind of short and sweet. I hope that, uh, you know, everybody's getting geared up for musky season. If you're the northern section of Wisconsin, if you're heading up there and Minnesota, you're not too far away. So I think I'm going to have to try to transition over to find a few musky fishermen over in the Minnesota area here in the next few weeks. Maybe not next week since we'll be literally days before northern Wisconsin. But shortly after that, get you guys uh, some information leading up to your opener. And so... Uh, that's kind of the plan for the next few weeks. I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to our podcast. And I have, uh, I'm going to just dial up my conversation I had with Gus Manti with Suggs Fishing. Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Gus Manti with Suggs Fishing. And I'm, I'm going to get the, the word here on, from Gus on you know what, what the, what's the story with Suggs Fishing. But we've had Gus on a podcast. If you listened a couple months back to the Wausau Expo roundtable, we had Gus on there. But I wanted to give him his own episode. And so, Gus, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come out and talk with us today. You know, before we get started, why don't we go over, you know, your history, your background. I think maybe we got a little bit of it, you know, on that other podcast, but we didn't really dive into it too much. And why don't you give me the story behind Suggs Fishing? Yeah, thanks, Jeff, for uh, having me on today. It's a real pleasure. And yeah, so I've always kind of fished my whole life. Family kind of did it, but I started out with just the panfish game. That started in a uh, well pack at my grandparents' cabin um, just off the dock. And then it kind of progressed to some bass fishing. And then before you know it, our parents actually got a cabin up on the Eagle River chain 
and I've pretty much been fishing here for 17 years and and that all started with just going after walleyes off the dock in May and and then just doing summer activities through the summer and and then we got a 16 foot boat where where we could start venturing off a little bit more and and uh, that's when we started throwing some stuff like spoons and spinner baits which you know sometimes are lost in the musky fishing world these days but spoons is pretty much how I caught probably my first 10, 15 muskies. Um, first one came off the dock on the Eagle River chain and we just caught some here and there and it kind of snowballed. It didn't like, I didn't go like fast and furious into the musky fishing world right away, but we kind of just started catching more and more and thinking like, wow, these things are awesome to catch. They fight really hard and, and they're just so mysterious. They'll follow up and turn away and then they'll come back and you just almost don't know what they're going to do. And that really intrigued me. Another story that kind of got me hooked is we're casting one night, middle of summer, midnight off the dock with uh, one of my dad's really old lures, a creeper. Uh, I have no idea who made it. It's just all wood, all black. And I don't know who was throwing it, but I was standing there on the dock and it was just the loudest, biggest explosion I've ever heard. And we didn't hook it. We didn't land it, but I was like, holy crap, they can, they can do that. So that was all, you know, awesome to see. And, and then we kind of just progressed more and more. And, and, uh, my first actual musky rod was a six foot medium heavy with, uh, I think a 5,500 series Abu round reel. And, and of course dad had to one up my brother and I and get a six foot six medium heavy with a 6,500 round reel. And, and we'd always fight over who would use that if our dad wasn't fishing with us. So that was funny. And then, and then obviously it progressed more and more to where we just started accumulating tackle more and more. And before you know it, we just, uh, it just started catching a ton of fish and it became like a, a huge passion of mine to just target these fish and, and learn these waters. Cause uh, I fished the Vilas in the Oneida County area and there's just so many lakes up here. It's insane. And, and uh, I want to, eventually get to you know just about all of them up here and learn them all and and really hone in my skills year after year that's amazing you know you're you know you're i would consider you to be a young guy yet you know and you're talking about the the progression that's been made in musky fishing starting out with a six foot reel you know it's crazy to think about how much musky fishing has changed it felt like there was probably like this period of time where not much had you know changed in musky fishing and then all of a sudden you know lots of changes really quick. I mean, and, and we're thankful and lucky to have all the equipment that we are today because it's made our jobs a lot easier. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, unfortunately I never got to live through any of those heydays that people talk about from 2000, 2005, even into like 2015, I guess ish, but you know, I was still fishing up here, but I wasn't doing any of those traveling that those, some of those other guides would do where they specifically would, drive all the way to Mille Lacs just to fish that fishery for a certain time of year and, and catch megas and then go over to green Bay and, and do all that. You know, I, it, it all just started on the Eagle river chain, which is just, you know, classic musky fishing, lots of good structure, lots of weeds and plenty of fish. So 
Well, you know, you didn't get to live through those heydays, but I like to think that you're living through, you know, all of us are living through a heyday in, in general with, you know, the conservation that we have within musky fishing, the stocking programs that we have, especially all over the state of Wisconsin. You know, I think that we're still in the heyday. You know, you missed out on some of those, you know, we'll call we'll call them easy bites, but I don't necessarily know they were easy. I fished Mille Lacs back in, I don't know, 2000 four or five somewhere in there I can't remember exactly what it was and it wasn't easy for us we had some opportunities at big fish but you know it's still musky fishing you you went out there every day and you gave it a shot and you know so it wasn't like you went out there and you you gave her a half hour and you were putting 50 in the boat you know it was it was still musky fishing so but I think that the opportunities that we have and you know the it's just endless to, I want to say more endless today than it's ever been you know, as far as like accessibility to musky waters especially within you know, the state of Wisconsin. And there's many states that are continuing to expand their muskie programs and the muskie reach. You know, I know we had on some guides recently from, you know, Indiana and they're talking about Indiana's expanding, you know, muskie waters over there. And it's great to see all that, you know, expansion and, and conservation going on. Yep. I totally agree. And I definitely am one for a hundred percent catch and release and, and I will be for, you know, as long as I live. And, uh, it's, it's just really important to, have the opportunity of another person to catch that fish again, or maybe somebody else in, in my boat catches it again too. And you can see somebody else's enjoyment out of catching that fish and, and so on. So, and you know, any of the fisheries that are not stocked and they're hundred percent natural, you know, then they get to live on and, you know, lay their eggs and pass on those genes and get even bigger fish. So let's talk about this, Gus. Suggs fishing. Where does the name Suggs fishing come from? So Suggs fishing, it, it it pretty much comes from Suggs, which is just if you take the word S U G Sug, it's my name, Gus, backwards. Funny little story behind that. I was in preschool or kindergarten doing some paintings in art class, and I think it was a flower pot I made, which. Of course, I think I made the flower pot upside down or something. I, I don't know, but I signed my name in the bottom corner. If you're reading left to right, it was G-U-S still, but the lettering was mirrored backwards. So instead of starting the G in the upper right, I was starting in the upper left. Instead of starting the S in the upper right, I started in the upper left. And the U, I couldn't screw up, thankfully. But it pretty much read as SUG if you mirrored it and um a babysitter of ours back in the day saw that painting and she just started calling me sug and i mean that's from when i was three or four years old and that's stuck pretty much my entire life as one of my main nicknames and tons of people called me that and i figured when starting this business i want something to somewhat stand out i mean i've already heard a few people unfortunately pronounce it a little bit incorrectly but that's okay I figured that would happen if you haven't really seen that before. But, yeah, it's S-U-G, Suggs Fishing. Good story. I like that. Anyways, let's, yeah. uh, you know, this wasn't something we had kind of talked about. So you talked about spoons, you know, and how that's, a, the, you know, you did well starting off with spoons. And I'm, you know, based on the fact that I sell a lot of musky tackle around here, I could tell you that spoons are not a hot property when it comes to, you know, selling them. You know, we do sell some. Uh, you know what what can you offer up with a with a spoon because it's crazy to hear you talk about that and i think it's seriously underutilized tool it really is really the extent of how we 
were casting all the time back in the day. It was it, it was a silver spoon and and like I was talking about the progression of musky fishing, I, I find this really funny and I don't know how my brain works on this, but I always threw a silver spoon. I think at the time I didn't have a single other color and it always worked. And one day for no reason, I decided to get out a red Sharpie and draw a red dot on it. And from that point, I just was telling myself that the fish were hitting harder and they're more aggressive on it. <laughs> and I'm not really sure why, but with spoons, we, we would just use them in the early season and, and catch a ton of fish. I mean, we never caught big ones. I mean, we, we used them all the time. I'm sure we could have came across some bigger fish, but we also at the time didn't know as many spots and we'd probably fish the same five spots every weekend. But I just, I do think that they're underutilized and I really want to kind of bring them back into the boat because a few, uh, I think it was two years ago, my brother, friend, Brian and Brent, uh, my brother and friend, Brian, we were fishing in that August, uh, musky open tournament here in the Eagle river area. And we we're fishing the chain, tons of pressure, super hot. I mean, loads of boats on the chain and, and we were kind of not moving fish throughout the day. So my buddy, Brian just got a spoon out. I think it was a five, of diamond spoon, which is probably the one of two colors that I like to throw is silver or five of diamonds. And I don't know if he was casting it for all of five minutes and he moved a fish that was ended up being a 39 incher that I, I hooked like a few casts later in the figure eight on a double eight that we we're kind of casting back at. And, uh, it, just and that that's august you know we I, that's not really a time that people talk about spoons at all but you know august is a time for burning blades and if you're not getting them on burning blades you could easily toss a half ounce or three quarter ounce or even one ounce spoon and just burn it and that's just something that i really want to kind of try more this year now that i have a ton more time because back in the day it was just it was really just saturdays and sundays fishing so so let's talk about it. Is it a simple cast out retrieve or you pull pause in these things? What's, what's the ticket? Um, I think it's just the trigger of the spoon, just cast it out and straight retrieve it. I don't think there's too much to it, but I don't think there's really a wrong way to use it. Uh, I definitely think a little pull pause can definitely be a little triggering action to it. Cause when they fall, they kind of flutter back and forth and just shine in different ways in the light. And I think that could, really trigger some strikes, especially if, if you're on a somewhat tougher day that the fish aren't going to go after a straight retrieve bait, they'll come after the pause. So those would be probably the basic two ways of how to work a spoon. Well, if you're finding yourself in a, uh, a pinch this season and you want to, you know, try something a little bit different, I mean, we do have a uh, pretty decent selection of some spoons that we've gotten in over the winter. You know, it's hard to find spoons in here, but we've got some uh, Papa Docs and some other stuff, and we have some tinsel on them and some regular spoons. And, I mean, the good thing about spoons is they're relatively inexpensive, right? You're not spending $60, $70 on a, a custom handmade spoon. It's just, I mean, 20 bucks and you're set. Right, yeah. And, um, well, that's good to know. I think I'm going to have to pick up some TRO colors because I, I might need more colors than just a silver spoon and a five of diamonds. Yeah, I'd say we got that that covered i think we probably have i don't know 
maybe 15 different color options, something like that. We, we got you covered. If you're looking for gold, copper, different painting, perches, all sorts of stuff, we have uh, some spoons for your liking. So that wasn't exactly why I brought you on here today. We weren't, I wasn't planning on going spoons, but since you opened the door for me, we had to you know, kind of talk about it because I can't say that spoons has been a real big topic for us on this podcast, but it's always good to you know, explore different options. That's kind of what we do the podcast, you know, get people thinking in, in other directions. You know, the bite's tough, and you see this old spoon in your tackle box, eh, maybe give it a shot. So, Gus, let's talk about uh, the PMTT. Recently, you made a trip down to Kentucky, and, you know, I had texted you a few times during that, and I, you know, was, I was rooting for you, essentially. I didn't realize at the time and until uh, after day one that you were down there by yourself, and you had some success. You know, congratulations on a fourth-place finish. It's uh, tough enough to finish in fourth when you have a partner. It's even tougher when you, you know, when you don't. So let's talk about your experience down in Kentucky. Let's talk about the PMTT. Was this your first PMTT event you've ever fished? Uh, no, this was actually my second. And the first one was with my brother and I last year on the Eagle River Three Lakes chain, which we actually placed eighth place and, um, and got the big fish of the tournament. So that was pretty cool. I have a decent track record now, I guess, with the PMTT, and I really hope to keep that going. but with with uh kentucky that was that was a whole new world for me um unfortunately my partner my brother max could not make it down and i just decided to go solo because i had some guys that i could stay with so i wasn't at least 100 percent on my own and you know they could give me a few pointers here and there but you know they're there for a tournament as well and for money so they don't obviously don't want to give me everything so i had some stuff to go off of and those of you that know or maybe not know about Cave Run, Kentucky, there's there's a few spots there that I found out pretty quickly that a lot of people fish and they're extremely popular, which I did end up fishing a little bit and pre-fishing, but it didn't stand out to me. And I'm not a huge fan of getting in line ever, even fishing up here. Those days pre-fishing, went there for... Uh, I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday pre-fish, and then the tournament was Saturday, Sunday. And in those three days, I moved approximately one fish in a very tiny area that I didn't have confidence it would even be there again. And that was about it. I did a lot of casting, decent bit of trolling. I don't even think I was jigging at all in pre-fishing. And I was seeing bait everywhere. Everywhere looked good. And I just had no confidence almost by the end of the pre-fishing into the tournament. But, you know, I, if I didn't catch fish, maybe looking back on it, uh, that spot that I kind of stumbled upon on Friday, if I didn't catch those fish during the tournament, they might not have been as appealing. But right afternoon, I finally got to a spot that I just decided to not cast. I mean, I was casting a lot during the pre-fishing just honestly hoping to catch a fish just to i don't know it's the first tournament of the year just get a fish under my belt and you know not have all the jitters during the tournament but i just decided to get the side scan out on uh pretty far probably 100 feet on either side and get the live scope out and kind of just scan around for bait pods and and just set out waypoints and uh, it was a it was a cove area that had some trees and stuff. So I pretty much put down waypoints of every really good clump of trees with good amounts of bait on it. 
and that's about it. I think by that time there was a storm coming and we were all getting off the water to go to the meeting. And by Saturday morning, my game plan wasn't to hit that spot first, which I probably should have. But so on Saturday morning, I, it was kind of tough to have a game plan because, I mean, I talked to some people. I know I texted with you, Jeff, possibly before that. I mean, I was pr pretty down. I, I don't really have much to go off of. It's a brand new lake. It's it's massive. I mean, I tried to fish small, even though it's a large lake, and and not, like, overwhelm myself, which is, you know, definitely a good pointer in, in tournament fishing. And usually when they have these tournaments, they're on large bodies of water, whether that be just one single lake or a chain, you, you just want to always, especially if you have multiple days pre-fishing, you want to break it down. Where on the first day, you don't just go and try and fish eight of those lakes or, you know, 20 spots from north end to south end on the big lake or something like that. You just want to keep each day simple, mark out a few spots, and then call it good, and go to the next day, and then by the end of pre-fishing, kind of mark down in your head or on your graph or on paper or something um, what spots look the best, what spots look the second best, third best, etc. And then that's where you get your game plan of where you're going to go first. So since I didn't have a lot to go off of, I wanted to pretty much just shoot right out of the gate to that one single fish that I moved, which was on Wednesday. So that was, you know, a couple of days prior. And, and I, of course, get there. I think I was both... 32 so by the time i got there it was already taken so i kind of jutted out to the other side shoreline area and started casting just to kind of maybe wait for that boat to leave the area and they didn't really look like they were leaving and i didn't like where i was fishing i i just wasn't really seeing the bait pods i would see on side or down and and it just didn't feel right there's a bass fish route fishing tournament going on as well and you know i had a bass boat behind me and a bass boat cut me off in front of me so usually when you get something like that and you get a little frustrated and you don't like the area it's best to just leave and reset yourself and, and just go to your next spot and kind of forget about that and that's when i went to this area that i found on friday afternoon and and i know from from uh talking with some other people and the guys that i was staying with that they're definitely you know getting a lot of fish to move in the timber and casting and all that so i tried casting it uh went around the whole area uh didn't see a single fish definitely saw you know majority of the bait that i saw the day before that i really liked and i started to think how could i attack this differently because i can't exact i mean i could position my boat differently and cast at a different angle, you know, that could have worked, but I decided to, you know, just to start jigging. I know that that's a super popular tactic in Kentucky and it's not super popular with me yet. And it's, you know, it's now starting to me starting to be, but I decided to jig. I think I got out a ripping dog and I got snagged in the first 30 seconds and took a couple minutes to get that out. So I'm like, oh, that's a great start. And I decided to just kind of stop jigging where I was there and, and, and reset again, have a snack, and go start where I just started casting probably an hour earlier and just kind of drifted in there and I was changing it out. And I went with a, a tube instead because 
that's how I have caught a fish jigging before. So I had some confidence with it. And I think I, I had GoPros running and I looked back at the footage and from dropping down the tube, I got that first fish in about 30 seconds of jigging. And it kind of took me by surprise and I was like futzing with the, the telescoping rod and, and that's when I set the hook. You can, I think the video is actually on the PMTT website and uh, Facebook. But uh, that one took me by surprise and that's when a light bulb kind of went off and and that's when I'm like, okay, I, I need, need to start jigging more. And I look at my graph and it, and that fish came right in between two tree waypoints. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That that uh, homework I did the day before actually worked, even though I didn't cast or figure out what they're eating. You know, as long as I kind of find where they are, I can uh, I can do this. I can just jig and stay in this area and hopefully find some more fish. And going through my head without a partner, if I was casting, every time my bait was out of the water and I was readjusting the boat, that's just there's a zero chance of getting a fish in because there's nobody else casting. So I figured with jigging, my lure was always in the water at all times. And even if I was moving slow, I didn't really mind that because the bait was so concentrated out there and, and the water was still cold. I, I didn't think moving fast would, would be the ticket, which is also why I kept gaining more and more confidence through the tournament to keep on jigging. And, uh, I probably discussed this in the PMTT, uh, at the podium when, when Tim was asking me and, and, um, I'll do a short little plug. I actually, and, and Jeff, I'm, this is a no competition, but I've started my own podcast with my brother and, and friend Brian. And I kind of went into this a little bit. I think in our first episode, you uh, might've already heard that pretty much the rest of the tournament from after catching that one fish on Saturday morning, I, uh, I jigged the rest of the tournament, which I think amounted to 12 hours straight if you combine the days, which I can't imagine a lot of people love to do. Sometimes I can be a stubborn fisherman. So if I, in this case, when it's a tournament and money on the line, if I got confidence in something, I don't see the reason why I'd shy away from that and go do something completely new during the tournament and waste time, which pretty much I would say 99% of the time doesn't work. You might find just that random fish, but but I, I figured to just keep on jigging and, and turns out that worked catching the second fish uh, on the same spot at the same time. I believe both fish were at like 1018 or 1019 Saturday and Sunday. And they're only uh, three quarters of an inch apart. So they're basically twins. Um, the first fish was much uh, fatter and the other one looked like it needed a meal, but but I, I thought that was wild and I probably could have jigged for all of five minutes and caught those two fish at those exact times. But instead I tortured myself with 12 hours straight of jigging solo, but no one else to talk to. <laughs> I could tell you that 12 hours straight of jigging is definitely no fun, but on the plus side, you know, when you catch one in 30 seconds of jigging, a, a, you know, of trying a, I'd say maybe like a technique that you're not super sold on and you put one in the net. I mean, it's, it gives you a ton of confidence right there. That's if you, if it's going to happen, that's the way you want it to happen. And then it, that can help propel the other 12 hours because if you do it for 12 hours with no success and previously having no success, it's definitely, uh, it's mentally a, a challenge. I, I agree. If it, if there's no success beforehand and went 12 hours, I probably would have quit 
11 and a half hours earlier than 12 hours. So that first fish was lucky. I can tell you this, like I've caught some fish jigging and until you actually catch one jigging, it's probably one of the most boring and worst techniques ever. But then when you catch one, it's actually pretty cool. And especially if you have it on video, you can see where they hit either at the top or the bottom and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's, it's a pretty cool way to fish and it, you know, it, it gives you a ton of confidence to open it up to, you know, if you're looking for a deeper water approach and, you know, you want a bait that'll get down deep and stay in their face. So, you know, you were talking about not having a partner and you wanted to have the bait in the water for longer. You know, it's definitely, it, it'll, it'll do the trick. I mean, I was out on a lake, uh, this is, I don't know, 10 years or so ago. And I, I had lost one on a sucker and it was fairly deep and I was, you know, kind of like, well, what else do I have that can get down there? I had some pounders and stuff, but I'm like, they're just not staying in the strike zone long enough like a sucker would. I'm like, yeah, I gotta, I, I gotta try jigging. And it, you know, it didn't happen in 30 seconds for me, but it happened in probably an hour. And it was, I mean, it was a, a blessing because it gave me some confidence to continue doing it. And I've had success since doing it. I don't do it a lot, but there are certain instances if I'm looking for a deeper water approach, if the fish are, you know, 15 feet down or whatever, 10 feet down, I'm looking to stay in their face the entire time. Uh, it's absolutely uh, a beneficial technique. So something that a lot of guys should, uh, should consider, you know, for me personally, I, I don't want to, you know, hijack your story, but like, I like to jig it right underneath the transducer. That way you can kind of watch it. Like if you were ice fishing and you can sort of see what's going on, that we have a better idea where your bait is and you know, how far it is off, off of the bait. Or, you know, if there's, if you're fishing bait as if that's your structure that you're fishing, you know, it works out great that way. So definitely a technique that I, I would, I'd still think that's, it's a fairly utilized technique, but I still feel like it's very underutilized overall. Yeah. It seems like it's accepted down there and it's just not talked about much up here in the Northwoods. And it's something I definitely want to do uh, more where I think last year, the only fish that I caught jigging was kind of open water June. And, and I tried a little bit in the fall. I think I got a hit and I just didn't give it the runtime I should have and and definitely need to get that going because with that and a sucker it could be deadly and another tip going back to the the PMTT fish is that of course with the introduction of of no life scope during the tournament uh, like you kind of said Jeff where you get your bait under the transducer I wasn't because I fish out of the back corner and the transducer is kind of on the other side of the boat, I couldn't exactly always get my bait directly underneath it to see it on 2D. But what I could always do was kind of see it on side image, you know, that kind of distance between where your boat is or where the transducer is to the bottom, you know, the black area or whatever color scheme you run. And you can kind of see your bait, you know, jolt up and down like a heartbeat monitor. And what I would do is kind of figure out my depth based on that. I mean, by the time the tournament was done, I was doing it so much and undoing 15 snags with the, uh, with the lure retriever I bought down there, which paid for itself right away. And I would be just lifted out of the water and kind of just eyeball where I was to get it down and call it good. But before that, when I was digging around those trees, you'd, you'd kind of keep, keep the bait almost behind the boat so that when you get to a tree, your transducer will read the tree and you kind of see where the tree is. And you almost just kind of like lift your rod up from, you know, being behind the boat and just kind of bring it up and then just take it over the tree and drop it right back down and kind of being 
little more snag free and getting your lure really close to those trees and and like almost jumping it over it like i said it's an underutilized technique so you know one thing you let me let me kind of transition off your uh your pmtt story i do want to come back to that because i kind of want to talk about breaking down water you mentioned open water in june you know i know that's something that brad talks about all the time like a june trolling bite on lakes by him is that something that you see out there in the in the northern wisconsin area is that uh i guess a pattern that, that you try to take advantage of yeah it definitely is there's quite a few mayfly hatches that do happen out here and if your lake and i think it's pretty much all of the lakes but i know it at least the lakes that I really like to fish. I see a ton of it start in that early to mid June. And, and it just depends on the season and on how long that runs. Cause you can find open water fish well into July and all that as well. But I mean, realistically you can all year, but the goal is to target them when there's more concentration of fish out over open water, which is usually relative i mean some people talk about open water and they might just be referring to a reef out in the middle of the lake but to me that that wouldn't be considered open water when i think of open water i just think of flat boring contours maybe not much going on and it's just mud and that's where the mayflies hatch and and pretty much when i see the the 2d start lighting up and looks like interference all over the place you might think it's bait but don't be fooled right away it's it's usually just all mayflies and once that comes around that is something that i'd I'd like to uh start trolling that's that's a good time to start trolling i mean you can only run one line per person up here which makes it tough but that's a really good tactic and and another way to kind of do that without trolling is if you if you start setting waypoints and finding where those you know heavy amounts of mayflies hatch and the heavy amounts of bait pods concentrate within that there's going to be muskies around and and that's usually just like a cast or two or three off the off the typical break line and and that's how you can get them casting as well but before casting i definitely suggest trolling to figure that out because that can be a deadly tactic and and uh (laughs) there's a there's another funny way to find out when the open water is going on if you if you launch your boat at uh any boat launch and you talk to you know jimmy bob at the launch casting you know 15 bucktails and 10 topwaters only all day when it's bright and sunny out in the middle of june and he's like i didn't see a single thing kind of figure out pretty quickly that they're not up in like the slop or the weeds and stuff like that and you can maybe immediately go out and try a little bit deeper water because i mean it's the post-spawn period it's when they're kind of recovering and they still want to eat it's just sometimes it's harder to catch them because not as many people are in tune with you know what's going on they can't just cast at the same weed bed year round and expect a fish to come off of it which there are some spots that i've, I've found throughout the years that there's pretty much a fish on it from opener to almost ice up pretty much whether it be in four five six feet of water but that's not always the case when you're wanting to look for multiple fish or larger fish. Yeah. Let's one more question on open water before we, you know, jump back to, uh, you know, PMTT. If you were trolling in Northern Wisconsin, what would be your bait of choice? Uh, between two, I, I guess I'll just cheat and pick two. It's going to be the, the jointed depth rater and the six inch. It's just, 
I, I typically troll a little bit murkier water. So getting that jointed action and rattle is, is just really good in my opinion. And, and jointed baits work really well when you're trolling at somewhat slower speeds and dirtier water. And the other one would be the 22 short by Lungeon. That one is just amazing. It's, it's a great downsizer. It's just a little snack for them. And, you know, it's still going to pick up numbers of fish and it still will get that big fish. And it's just got great action. And, and honestly, I know they make the uh, square bill for casting, but it's a great troller as well. Sure. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, if you're, I guess I can heed some of that advice too. And the jointed depth rater in the six inch, that is definitely not one that I've spent much time trolling up in Northern Wisconsin. I don't know why, cause I've caught lots of fish on it. I've probably caught more fish on the straight eight inch depth rater than any other musky bait in around. Cause at one point I used to troll all the time when they opened up trolling up in Northern Wisconsin, I thought, Oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to go up there and troll a lot. And that one line per person thing is, I don't want to say it's boring, but it is boring. I think I'd rather cast than drag one line per person. I don't know why, but that's just how it is. I, so I've spent way more time casting up there than I ever did you know, previously I used to row troll and all that stuff. And I just don't do a lot of trolling up in there in Northern Wisconsin. Definitely something I need to take advantage of more often, but it's time on the water. When you have limited time on the water, sometimes you don't want to go too outside your comfort zone, which is kind of why we talk on this podcast, get people thinking different ways of, you know, than what they currently had been. Yeah. And I, I would say it's, if you're going to go troll alone, I would, I would recommend beforehand trying to reach out to at least one or two other people, even if they're not fishermen and read a book on the boat because getting those extra lines in the water is just essential. I'd say trolling with one line by yourself, that's probably better when you're really dialed in on the bite. That's a little bit harder to find, you know, that open water bite, but, but then again, trolling can be just a great way to learn brand new water but that would be just a whole another route to go down. All right, well, let's jump back to PMTT talk. So one thing I want to know is, you know, for people, I just don't, I don't want this to be specifically about the PMTT, but since you just had to break down some new water, can you kind of talk about the process of how you went about breaking down new water? Did you do some research on your, you know, in your, I mean, did you, were you looking at map chips in your boat? I know right now you're sitting in your boat. So were you doing any of that prior to going <laughs> down? Did you have a bunch of spots laid out? Like what was your, we'll call homework before you went to the lake? I'd say cave run is probably an exception for being a little different than breaking down a typical uh, lake just because of its size and its layout. It's not, it's not usual for me. I don't, I don't really fish that many reservoirs really, if any, and it was just all new. And, and from the information that I was kind of given by some friends, is that down there, a lot of the, the places are named. So they pretty much just gave me a whole long list of basically Creek arms. Cause I mean, other than the Creek arms, you got the, the, uh, the weed flats and that's about it really. Even though it's a massive lake, it it's, that's just kind of where people fish. And, and I really, I didn't want to get like too far out and try and find the world's newest bite down there or something crazy like that, you know, cause I was alone. I didn't have like a month in advance to, to, to pre-fish it but from there i, I pretty much just tried i, I kind of touched on it a little bit is is you take big water water and then you fish it small and when it comes to a tournament i 
I'd probably recommend more times than not to actually not cast it unless maybe you're trolling. Um, even that, because if you start to burn fish, especially the day before the tournament, that's never good. And, and I, I just talking with a lot of other people, it sounds like the people who catch the most pre-fishing are usually the ones that do the worst during the tournament. And that's never good. You do, you do not want to be that, that person that runs their yap about catching all these fish and then you don't see their name anywhere in the standings or even catching a single fish. And like, well, that guy just burned every single fish and ruined those spots. But, but yeah, that's just learning new water is kind of just something that I like to break down really weekly. I, I've, uh, I got a whole list of lakes up here that I want to hit this year and I'm probably going to go scout a few this, uh, this may. And that's almost like a perfect time to go, because you're not even allowed to cast. So it kind of makes you have to go through the areas and map them out. And in that case, what I like to do is, so I run all Garmin's and they have what's called quick draw contours, which I don't know what it's called for hummingbird or I don't even know if Lawrence has it, but it's basically where you can map out the lake yourself and get the contours of, of your own. Cause you know, not every lake's got, spot on contours and not everybody can get the super expensive lake master chip and some of these you know smaller lakes up here might not even be mapped out at all so you kind of have to map out the areas yourself and that might be driving back and forth and this could be pretty boring but if you have a beer in your hand and nothing else to do all day it's it's an easy easy task to do and that's where you start setting waypoints and on usually weed edges or if you see kind of like a uh, a jut in in the weeds that you weren't really expecting that could be something intriguing if if the wind's hitting it right that day you got that spot in your back pocket or if there's so many times rock bars out in the middle of the lake that you just don't even have on the map at all those might be spots that 90 percent of the fishermen might never even fish or even know about so those are all good you know that's a good tactic to go back and forth on the new lake and, and, uh, and map it out and kind of get those, those contour lines to start to tighten up and, and see where that spot on spot is before even fishing. Cause that's the most important part is to find the spot on spot, wherever that fish is going to eat and right where you're really expecting the fish to eat. Cause sometimes when you're going down to just a typical shoreline, you might find a fish or two or something like that, but more times than not, that spot on spot is going to be where there's the most interesting or random just things going on underwater that you kind of can't see until you actually drive up on it and see it with side image. And that's pretty much your best friend on scouting new water is, is, is using side image. Uh, we talked about it. I think on the last podcast, I think side imaging is still one of those technologies. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, uh, forward-facing sonar and, and uh, panoptics or live scope or whatever. And I think that so many anglers still don't know how to effectively use their side image that you know, they're they're already looking for the next best thing when they don't know how to use what I consider to be the best thing right now. Yes, I, I agree with there as well. I mean, I do, I do run live scope, but I don't run it super often. I found out quickly from pretty much firsthand experience and listening to podcasts that it is live for a reason and once that fish is gone it's gone and they are tough to find again and then you just spend too much time 
with your hand on a pole, you know, moving it back and forth, looking for a fish. And it's that, that honestly can get boring. So I'd much rather cast. And I, I already kind of missed a few fish while looking at the screen and, you know, that kind of just made me not want to use it while casting just to stare at a screen. Cause to me, that's just not fishing at all. And even just running around and looking for a fish, I don't exactly, I don't like to do that at all. And I think this, the live scope can be utilized in so many different ways than that. And I know Brad's not here, but he's kind of talked about using it to really base himself off of a weed line really effectively where you can kind of point it forward and back and, and make sure that you're not going to bounce onto a weed line where, where you just go right over the fish and probably spook a spot or something like that, which is, you know, going back to mapping out areas with quick draw contours is that you can in advance kind of already get that area potentially mapped out where you see a line kind of jut out in the contours where you can, where you can already look in your map and, and get your boat in position, but that that's definitely one way to use live scope and and it's it's the same with with side image too. Definitely like to use that to stay on weed lines. That's just a really good tool. You know, so let's um we had a we had a list of topics we wanted to talk about. You know, one thing that we didn't cover yet, and this kind of goes into the new water thing, would be, you know, you've kind of started to poke around in the in the UP. You know, for for you in northern Wisconsin, it's a hop, skip, and a jump up there. You know, for some people, it's a little bit of a travel, but they don't have a season up there. And, you know, you can target muskies basically all the time. You know, let's talk about a little bit about that if you want to. You know, for for anglers in northern Wisconsin that are looking for some angling opportunities, you know, a little bit ahead of the season, you can do, you know, obviously it's going to be dependent upon ice. You know, this year ice came out, I'd say maybe slightly later than normal but not too not ridiculously late it doesn't seem like you know it gives you a, a maybe a little bit of a jump start on the season and potentially a chance to, to cash in on some you know giant pre-spawn muskies you want to sh- shed a little light on that yeah for sure i mean this this is all new water like we've been talking about and, and this is all new to us and this is something that a year ago my brother and also a good friend brian again who i've said his name multiple times now we went and did uh, last spring, and we we were hit with god awful conditions. I, I think it was whipping thirty plus from the north or something like that, and it was maybe forty degrees and rained about eighty percent of the day, and we couldn't even fish a full day. And somehow we still managed to move a fish and get one to strike both side, and you know that was enough to be like, well if there if it's this crappy a weather and we move some fish we should be able to do it again and we waited a whole nother year we didn't really go and do it again so then this year we had more of a game plan and uh we wanted to fish it a little bit more effectively and so basically the the area that we've found is is it's got current so we we kind of dealt this year with a little bit of runoff as you know there was some some warmth as the ice was coming off and and the water was dirty, so we are pretty much dealt with, so we had great weather this time at least, but we were dealt with god-awful water conditions, and that's just new to us. Like I was saying, I, I don't, we don't really fish reservoirs all that often. I, I want to fish them more for sure, 
and I really want to learn them a lot more and just expand my knowledge up here. But the water clarity was maybe six inches, maybe four inches, and it was just rushing like crazy. So our confidence was lost pretty early, but, you know, we at least had some spots in mind and, and with pre pre-spawn fish, that's just a whole nother world. I mean, people in the North, it's not, it's really not something you're able to do at all with, you know, the season not open until Memorial day or, or the first weekend in, in June for Minnesota. And I, I believe that's the catch and what they call keep, I guess, season for Michigan as well as, but we kind of figured that we, we know like that these fish winter where they're going to be at the end of the fall, which is super predictable areas. It's usually the deeper areas. Um, it's steeper. Uh, they can kind of lay out of the current, but also, you know, stay towards the bottom and pick fish off as they come through. But we figured with, you know, the better weather and, and the water moving, they'd kind of get kicked their instincts and start heading to their spawning areas. So we picked, we tried to pick and part spots that were very close to the spawning grounds that had current rushing around them, but at least had a, usually like a seam or some sort of eddy to kind of like break apart that rushing water. Cause we figured with water temps, super cold. I mean, like what you'd be fishing with fishing in November for these fish are not going to want to just go sit in that just super fast current there'd be no reason for them to fight that in such cold water there's but that's kind of where we started and and we did stumble on on uh one giant fish i mean it was it was a beauty my brother got it it was we went a whole uh well not a whole day we fished a good amount of a day that we're able to get up north for and didn't see a thing and we're pretty down uh but the next day we went back and we fished through a spot and we finally side imaged one. We actually saw one on side image and, and that's when my brother just took one cast at it. And I think he was working a shallow mag dog. So it could have a little slower fall. And I don't know what's up with us manty boys and futzing with telescoping rods as we're working baits, but apparently it works because he was sitting down because we're going to go to the next spot actually. And before we side image this fish and he, got back up and tossed out the mag dog with the telescoping rod, not even extended. And halfway back, he's like, Oh crap, that could have been bad. I think he said something like that. And, and he extended it back out, took another sweep, maybe two. And, and then that fish hit and we we're, I mean, I mean, we knew it was a fish on side image, but just still when he hooked it, we're like, Oh, Oh my gosh, that actually just happened. And, and we bagged it and we're like that, this fish is ginormous. This belly is insane. It's even more than what they have in the fall. And it really got us hooked. And, and, uh, unfortunately we didn't, I think we side image two more that, that day. And I had one swipe and miss a phantom on like a steep shoreline next to a log. And it was a smaller fish, but missed it. And before you know it, we couldn't, uh, we didn't have any days left to fish. And I think by then I had to, go to Kentucky. So I haven't really been able to go back and do it, but it's, you know, it's a cool bite to go ahead and kind of get out and get your boat out and go do it. But I would probably recommend not 
having your first <laughs> uh, put in with your vote of the year with uh, current. Because if you find anything wrong, uh, that's not good. Uh, fortunately, before I we went there, I was able to put it on water a little, a lot more south, and and uh, make sure everything was working properly. Yeah, that that could be a thing. And and another thing that I just kind of want to toss in there as a safety aspect is if you're going to go do this, it's usually you know in the UP there's there's a lot less people, a lot less towns, and usually a lot less service. So if you're going out solo, I really recommend wearing one of those inflatable life jackets and bring in some sort of device that you can call in case of an emergency. And then probably most importantly is go fishing with friends. So. Well, it sounds like a pretty cool adventure for, you know, I mean, I would say it's probably going to be a limited amount of anglers. You know, most people aren't going to go travel up to the UP as a destination, you know, for early season musky anglers, you know, there's plenty of other places to fish and, but if you're, you know, Northern Wisconsin angler or you're even anywhere in Wisconsin, you want to take a little drive up to, uh, to the UP, sounds like you can definitely find some, uh, opportunities for early season, you know, muskies and, you know, something you could even do, I would imagine right about now. Right. Yeah. I mean, with this warm up, I'm kind of cooling the jets on going there cause I'm not one for kind of getting in the face of spawning fish and messing around with them. That's not something I really want to be a proponent of or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, sometimes the spawn leads up into the opener for Wisconsin or Minnesota and people go after them. It's, you know, it's all fine and dandy there. It's just, I I don't want to mess around really with fish that are, that are spawning or getting their, getting their way of, of doing what they got to do. Cause you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, that's, that's the future, you know, catch and release and all that stuff for sure. But you know, if you don't, if you, stress out these fish anymore you know there there might not be any be any left and another thing about this pre-spawn bite that i figured out pretty quickly is that that time between ice off and spawn happens relatively quickly up here it's it's not like in the south where your pre-spawn starts and i mean i don't know what they can, would consider it but february or march and rolls all the way into may pretty much whereas here it, it might be just a short little window so it's just something that I'd, I'd really like to capitalize capitalize on each year to to just pretty much go after one big fish each season. And, and like you said, just kind of look for an opportunity to get the boat in the water and do some fishing before maybe any, anybody else wants to go fish. So it's just something that I've, we've always kind of wanted to do because we saw the regulations change for Michigan. And, and it's definitely something I look forward to each and every year. All right, so something we look forward to each and every year is by the time we hear this podcast, we're going to be roughly 10 days out from the Northern Wisconsin opener. I'm assuming you've been on the water a little bit. You know, why don't you kind of give us your Northern Wisconsin opener, you know, weekend preview? You know, what what are you going to be looking for? Do you think the fish are done spawning? I'm assuming not. I would imagine you'll find some in pre-spawn, post-spawn, and spawning action i'm guessing based on what i've seen as far as water temperatures go what do you think we're going to see yeah i think i can agree with the with the pre-spawn post-spawn you know in the spawn going on towards our opener i mean the 10 day can always change up here it's insane um i mean you could be looking at 10 days out you know mark it down and then look back on that day and the, the weather could change by 20 degrees or 30 degrees and all of a sudden it's like raining or something like that 
So weather can always change. It's unpredictable up here. And I've gotten some reports on some bodies of water that's already that have already hit 60 about water temps. And I've, I've seen some pictures of some paired up muskies. I haven't seen any paired up myself, but I was on, on a body of water, just even on an opener. I was kind of just cruising the shallows and I uh, saw eight males just sitting up in one or two feet of water. So they obviously are, you know, getting ready. And if anything going through it right now on any of the smaller stained lakes for sure, which is definitely classic on, on what you maybe want to target on opener is to kind of go after those smaller lakes and not necessarily do they have to be shallower and, and, uh, and stained. It's, even if it's a smaller lake, they, they'll, they'll definitely warm up faster and you're going to get a little more, you know, bitey fish to go after your lures, which is ultimately kind of what you want to look for is some good action on opener, which is definitely something that I'm going to be kind of going after. You know, typically an opener kind of get a decent crew up here and, and we just go fish to have fun. So, so this year we might be doing something a little different where uh, it's probably not super ideal, but we're, we're going to be lake hopping a ton. I think we got about 10 lakes in mind to uh, go back and forth from. And, and I'd say about seven or eight of the 10 that we're going to do are, are bodies of water that I, I do fish regularly. So I do know most of the spots and, and where, where some spots that are going to produce and we'll probably hit those two, three spots, you know, work them methodically, go through them slowly. Don't by any means, if you're like hopping, that doesn't mean you have to go guns a blazing with bucktails and burning them, but you know, definitely pulling out your cranks, your diving rise, hundred percent glides. And, and then when it comes to rubber, that's, you know, if I'm, if I am going to upsize, it's going to be most likely on rubber or maybe a larger suic, but typically I'm going to stay smaller, definitely in the four to eight inch range on any of those lures. And, and when it comes to blades, it's pretty much always going to be a single blade for me towards opener. It's just hard to go away from when you keep seeing the number five maps keep on producing. I mean, it's hard to go away from any of those single five, six or seven size blades. They just work so well. So with those lakes that we have in mind, typically on the spots that we're going to be looking for them is, you know, for sure, probably the classic Northern ends of the lake, maybe the Northeast sides and some of the sides that get most of the sun and are probably close to the spawning grounds for a muskie and you know, that can, that can definitely differ on lakes. There's plenty of lakes that have shallow weedy bays in the South end. And you definitely don't want to, don't want to miss out on those. Those can be overlooked for sure. Another not so classic spot that we found some fish on an opener is, and it might even be with some somewhat colder water is if you go to kind of a main lake point and fish that early in the morning, you might be surprised on what you can move off of there. So I I'd say, you know, consider that because depending on where you fish, it, it could be busy in the northern ends because it's just so common for people to say that. And it's true. It's mostly true. I mean, I'm, I got some lakes in mind that I'm thinking of and a couple of those, my favorite spots in those lakes from June, even into September are on the northern ends. And they, you know, kind of have some sort of current maybe involved or maybe a creek mouth is, is uh, definitely important. 
I'd say looking for the greenest cabbage is, is very important. That can sometimes be not, I, I shouldn't say tough to find. It's just, you might find it all over the place and kind of circling back to, to mapping out new lakes is, is that if you're in a fully weedy area and you are, are just seeing cabbage all around, it, it might be tough to find a fish, but if you're mapping that area out, you see the depths go from say you're in six, seven feet. And then also you see a little bump up to four or, or five feet. And then it kind of bumps back down. You kind of figure that out to be a high spot or a, a potentially spot on spot where later in the year that gets choked out and, and that could be a, a very good spot for holding a muskie because they just, they love edges. They love to sit in ambush. So if you're just doing a large weedy bay that looks like it's basically featureless other than just a bunch of weeds, you'd, you'd probably be surprised on some of those lakes that you fish that you see a little, little bump up in the, um, in the depth change. And, and that's kind of, it's kind of where they're sitting. And those are really good uh, areas to check out. And, and I know from experience that, that those aren't always right up on shore. I mean, it's, you can definitely find some on fish on shore, but some of those really vast weedy bays, they kind of have those, those depth changes that kind of happen a little further out and you might be able to go after some fish that other people don't even get a cast towards. Another area to check in lakes. Um, I know I kind of mentioned Northern sections, weedy sections, uh, Creek mounts running in, but, if you have a lake that kind of almost looks like it has two different basins, you might, you might want to go and check out the side of the lake or the basin that is shallower. Cause just that part of the lake in general is going to heat up faster. And, and those would be kind of areas to go and, and check. Maybe there's a great shallow weedy bay in the section that's deeper, but it might be a little bit behind what's going on on the other side of the lake. And it's a shallower basin. And it also has like that classic north area with the creek running in and and you can find some fish uh laying up there and and definitely don't be afraid to get shallow on them you know some of those lakes they get choked out by middle to end of june and and uh i'd say if you know your lake pretty well and you know which areas are choked out with weeds those are usually very good spots on opener before the weeds come up as uh as you know early emerging weed growth that you just can't really see yet and because that's going to be the the best weeds that come up first and and those are usually the shallowest sometimes that's even in one two three four feet of water so those are some other spots to kind of look at over opener well it'll definitely be uh interesting to see how things play out on opening weekend i mean as i thought things would be a little tough in the south and it looks like there's people catching some fish in the south as well so I would anticipate that, uh, you know, many anglers will find some success in uh, northern Wisconsin. You know, so Gus, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk muskies with us. But before we go, you had mentioned a podcast. Can you give us the name of the podcast and where people can find it? Yes. So podcast is called Muskies on Tap, M-U-S-K-I-E-S on Tap. And that can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I think there's a few others that have it. Uh, iHeartRadio, potentially Amazon Music or something like that. It's distributed out to a few others, but most of the people I'm assuming use Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And 
And you can also find links on the social medias. I use Facebook regularly. It's just Gus Manti. You can add me as a friend. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, Suggs Fishing Guide Service. You can follow that. I have an Instagram as well, and that is under Suggs Fishing as well. And two other places you can find me is a website that is actually brand new, and that is SuggsFishing.com. Super simple. And then lastly would be if you want to get in touch with me and send me a text or you know, call me and leave a voicemail if I don't answer, it would be my cell phone number, and that is 920-264-3816. Well, Gus, I want to thank you again for you know talking muskies with us. I hope that you get your season off to a great start. I'm sure we'll be in touch at some point this season. And uh, I want to thank our listeners for putting up with us for another episode, and we will catch everybody with a new one again next Wednesday. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on.